That must mean it is the most special day where we're going to listen to your play. Oh my god, it's so exciting! No, it's a great, it's a great thing when the actors come and actually perform in my living room. It's the best. So it's we're going to listen incredible. to Fem Fest, and then we must touch on our visit to Solvang and how we saw Twelfth Night. Absolutely. The delightful gender-bending comedy by PCPA. <laughs> and a preview of coming attractions a little bit at the end. Yes? Get, get ready. Get ready. Maggie, remember when we saw Twelfth Night? I do remember that. It was actually pretty recent, like maybe 48 hours ago. <laughs> But I remember it really well. What did you think of Twelfth Night at PCBA? Well, I was, I knew I was going to have a good time and a good time was had. I mean, a good time was had It by was all. funny. It was all, yeah. it was all the things that you kind of expect to get out of a classic production at PCBA. Like solid. Yeah, super solid. Super solid directing. Acting was spot on. I mean, we had um, some of, you know, the favorites like Eric Stein. He was so funny as the Shakespearean frat boy. I he, what? That's a great description. Shakespeare does um, bros. Yeah. Right? He was a bro. He was, he was the bro. Shakespearean bro and he had his bro buddy and they would just like drink and prank people. And he was perfect. And they that. were. They both were. Who, uh, what was the name of the actor who played Sir Augucheek? Um, oh, he's another one of their, you know, yeah, yeah, resident, yeah. George Walker. George Walker, that's right, he, yeah. He's like their, one of their, um, he's very people. funny. He was, you know, we saw him in Lend Me a Tenor. That's right, that's right. That? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was very, so they do a very physicalized comedy that, you know, if, if you're, you, you know, not directly up on your Twelfth Night text. You can completely <laughs> follow along. Oh, yeah. You, you're, you don't feel left behind. You don't feel, you know, it's right there with the story. So, yeah, it's pretty clear. I thought they did a good job of bringing the comedy through, even right. though as you're listening to it, you realize, okay, I understand this joke because structurally it's set up the way mm -hmm. a comedic line is set up. However, none of these words are right. actual things anymore. Like, they're talking about a coxcomb. Mm -hmm. Like, you you get what it is, but you don't, nobody uses that word. I'm going to bring no. it back. But we, You could bring that back. I, I should bring it back. I'm going to name a sandwich after it. Mm -hmm. But the point mm -hmm. is, is that you can still, when they make the joke, you still get what they're doing. Right. And that's, I think, for me, the mark of a very watchable, very solid Shakespeare yeah, production. I think it's much harder to do the comedy. Oh, really yeah. in a contemporary world. Well, so you know? much of the humor is within the dialogue. And yeah. if people are not able to grasp the dialogue, it's coming by you fast. So very fast. You know, if you can't if you can't catch it, then all the humor is lost. And then it's not a comedy. It's just like a weird situation. And, and even if we slowed it down, which would kill the comedy, we yeah. would, you know, we would still be like, oh, what? You know, is that an allusion to Ovid? Or what What was that? You know? <laughs> what is going on right now? I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. So it, it, um, it, it was very kinetic. It was, it was great. Um, My I, I didn't quite fall in line with their selection of placement. Like, where are we setting wise and how that was relating <laughs> to the costuming. Um, 
I, oh, there I, was I, a, it, it had me. There off. was a whole that lot. There off. was a lot going on. I mean, it was I, very much yeah. like a fairy tale, and they really sort of like I think chose yes. aesthetic things like costume pieces and the way that the set looked to really. Uh, you know, nail it home that like this is a fairy tale. This yeah. is just sort of magical, blah blah blah. Because it didn't. Yeah. It looked like a Star Trek set. It. Oh my gosh! It from like, the sixties. It looked like a nineteen sixty six episode of Star it Trek. Like they landed in Illyria. They did. They landed on the planet they, of Illyria. We are on Illyria, <laughs> and we've lost communication with the Enterprise. <laughs> we've decided to dress as women, or no, to dress as men. Well, oh, they're already men. They got to dress Ahura as a man. Oh, that's good. In order that's to get good. her. Um, that's good employ in the entourage of yeah. of the the duke of the duke and then of course yeah yeah and then captain kirk will sleep with uh olivia yeah. yeah everyone everyone really. yeah. yeah so who is yeah but yeah it was difficult to place like where and when in history they were because there were people looked it was sort of like they were in a a hub of commercialism in that there were people who looked Mm -hmm. like sort of persian genies there were people that looked like musketeers i know there were like some Mm -hmm. of the beethan dresses it's like we're on the silk road maybe but what year is it (laughs) (laughs) and and like what's our latitude what's our longitude my favorite thing though was when i sort of asked you going into it because i was like man i don't really know Mm -hmm. tell me about the comp what goes on in this one and so you gave me a very Mm -hmm. excellent summary oh thank you and what i loved was you were like, you know, and then there's this serving man who they <laughs> play a trick on and they punk him, essentially. And they tell him, you know, you're in love with the 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 lady of the house is in love with you and you should show that you love her back and therefore raise your status right. by like, I don't know, they make him do something mm-hmm. weird, like act like a chicken, dress like a chicken. <laughs> like that was your explanation. And then he comes out <laughs> in yellow stockings and red double double was- garters. And he did. He looked like a rooster, like a big poofy rooster. And I was like, oh, my God, you were incredibly accurate with that. Like they make him dress like a chicken. Mm-hmm. I know, because that's not in the text. It is not in the text that he dresses like a chicken. <laughs> but it always looks like a chicken because he's got the yellow legs and the little red. Well, right. And the, the yellow legs. The poofiness. So much like poofy. He was cross-gartered. He was cross-gartered. He was cross-gartered. A, a nonsensical fashion idea that they managed to endow with enough meaning that we all thought it was really funny. Right? It was really funny. It was funny for me because he did look like a chicken. He did look like a chicken. And I was dying. Yeah, no, that was, that was, and that was Andrew Philpot as, right. who's another of their residents. Yeah, one of their staples. People. Yeah. Really, so really good work. He was really good. Yeah. So okay. even though you don't know where it is, when it yeah. is, whatever, it doesn't it's matter. Like, you it's get a fairy it. tale. Yeah. You like You're it. You're not anywhere. Yeah. It's not any time. And what I liked about this, too, was that they sort of, they, they kind of like threw the gender to the wind. And right. I know that there's always the cross-gender, you know, cross-dressing mm-hmm. personas. Mm-hmm in the piece but they were very much like they would give people like a little sexual tension regardless of gender like two men two women like whatever like they put it in there which i think complicates everything and makes it so much more interesting yeah Uh, i mean and i don't know if this is just me or if you were thinking about this too but i was thinking in our in our contemporary world where people create these alternative personas through social media and Mm -hmm. and different oh catfishing yeah, catfishing is like an ex- well, basically I mean, the that's, characters that's in this, this play are catfished. Play was about. A catfish they play. really are. They're catfished. Uh and I was thinking about the 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 idea of gender as just playful construction. Right. That that 
Shakespeare was always sort of hip to. On the other hand, in a way, the comedy only works if the society has such a rigid view of Mm, gender stability mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that these ruptures are seen as sort of destabilizing to the you know right to the exactly order. it doesn't work if everybody knows right, innately right. that like women mm-hmm. can get jobs mm-hmm. like she would just you know what i mean she would just go to the duke and be like hey i'm a woman but i would like to be in your entourage yeah. and he'd be like well we don't have a token woman yet so come on in like too that bad, would be fine. too bad you're not a eunuch because I, I we know. have eunuch we have, we have a, a job for you describe to me the importance historically of the eunuch well, oh, that's a great question. Well, Thank it you. had, uh, you know, it, it was part of the kind of the Orientalism of the Western imagination that there were these eunuchs who, especially associated with the uh, harems that, you know, that would guard the harems in the, on the, in the East. So I think there's a little Asianism there, you know, a little sort of structuring of the Asian other here. So wait, 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 other. Wait, wait. Yeah. The eunuchs. Yeah, you're going back. You're looking at me. For those of you in radio world, <laughs> getting I'm getting a squinty eye. <laughs> the squinty eye of Maggie not understanding. <laughs> so you have eunuchs. And mm-hmm. these are people who have been captured in war and castrated? Well, I mean... I guess they, let's start there. They're... Where do the eunuchs come from? <laughs> where do... Where do, does the stork well, bring them? What's it, going on? But, but there was... So in in the imagine in the imagination, there are these mm-hmm. eunuchs who oversee you know the harems. So you take the eunuchs mm-hmm. and you put them in charge of your prostitute. Yeah, tent. Can, yeah, because who else can you trust with all the women? But right? but but that's just sort but of. But how that's would the eunuchs who have no testosterone be able to fight off the men who want to rape the women? Well, this makes no sense can, to me. This is can, a terrible idea. You should yeah. have big beefy. Well, male-oriented were, it's guards. True. It's true. But let's say that's part of the connotation, that they're associated with sort of the Eastern, like, extremities of the East in some of the Western notions of what's going on in the East. So, right? Okay. This isn't like a sociological fact or a historical <laughs> fact. I, oh, I see. I see. Unix I see. This is sort of, they're sort of like fawns. Right. So gotcha. closer to home, closer <laughs> to home, we had um, the castrato, you know, that were very popular for their singing voice oh, in the gotcha, in, gotcha. in this rising sort of period. Another kind of Mediterranean trope. So okay. they were thought to have, and there is a portion of Shakespeare's text of Twelfth Night where he's talking about, where they're talking about how great the voice is, Olivia's mm, voice. Right, right, right. You remember that, mm-hmm. and and they they were thought to have these like cra- you know just really interesting voices because they they never changed they would right. they would castrate these poor young men before they reached um, adolescence so they would maintain that kind of female sopranoish voice so, boyish voice question but it would change. Is Michael Jackson the eunuch of Ooh. our time? Well, that's interesting. I mean, where is there's such a difference between castration and gender fluidity and passing? Don't you agree? But wasn't there? Didn't he do something to his voice to oh. maintain that 
that oh. particular quality that you're talking about. I mean, he sounds yeah. very similar mm. when he's 10 versus when he's 40. Oh, that's true. And I mean, I heard rumors that they did something to his, I mean, but you know, maybe what I, mean? I don't know enough. About also, that. he's sort of like an asexual being or supposedly well, super uh, asexual now. Well, right? now he's dead. Right. Yeah. Well, there were castrato up to the 20th century. There was one castrato still living in the 20th century. But like, why would, how would that happen? Like, how, how would you become a person Mm -hmm. on the, how did, you know, I forget, I I just read this, you know, like, academics do. I read this one article once. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair. All right. So we just, we just take it as gospel that there are these eunuchs. Oh, when? In Twelfth Night. Oh, in Twelfth Night, there's one eunuch. Yeah, there's one. Anyway. It's actually a woman. Olivia, who's actually a woman. Pretending <laughs> <laughs> to be Viola. a eunuch. Viola, who's actually a woman. Viola. Viola. Well, that's right. Why do they all have the same name? I think that's such an interesting They're all named it. Viola. Viola, Olivia. I mean, yeah, you know, similar. there's like, Well, I think because on? maybe the idea that all women are the same. There's one character. It's a woman. It's all the same deal. But then, but th- let me complicate that for you because okay. then there's Malvolio. Oh, but he's sort of a castrated figure in Ooh. terms of the fact that, you know, he wants to move up in status, but he's right. never going to get laid by Olivia. Like Olivia's <laughs> never gonna fuck that guy oh that's really that's really what the play is about isn't it that is the heart of it <laughs> i want to see 12th night from the point of view of malvolio oh, me too just, <laughs> just as this guy is like i really really don't want to be a servant anymore all i gotta do is get olivia to fuck me it's never gonna happen dude it's never gonna happen no, anyway, no, so but because so at the end, you know, genders are restored and mm-hmm, class mm-hmm. order is restored, mm-hmm. you know, but and, but it's very dark kind of at the end. And the it way it is. And normally I, I feel yeah. like everyone's on stage and they're sort of dancing and reveling yeah. and having a wedding because it always ends in a wedding. But yeah. with this one, they sort of like they do their dancing and they're reveling and then they leave and then the fool kind of does this. Like strange, dun, 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 yeah, dun, 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 dun. like a little bit in the minor key, yeah. like like watch out, yeah. watch out, yeah. and then just sort of like disappears, <laughs> right? You're like, oh God, that was yeah. I what guess, was going on I there? I guess it's Lent now. Yeah, I guess time to yeah, <laughs> time to give up chocolate. Time to again. give up everything again. <sighs> yeah, it does. It closes with the point of view of the fool, which is interesting. Well, I have yet and, to see all of the Shakespeare's. Oh yeah, that's, I, that's hard. Some of them don't get done. Yeah, I mean, much. you really have to be going to like organ shakes every year to see all of them. I mean, like yeah, Cymbalina. For 20 like years. nobody's gonna like right. nobody does that. They do right. it every exactly. They do it every twenty years because they have to because it hasn't been done in twenty years. <laughs> <sighs> yes, so but you can hard. read them pretty quickly. Yeah, but it's just really not the same. No, it's not the same right. as seeing it's it. Not, and but this is the problem I have with like ninth grade English. Here, mm, read mm, all these plays mm-hmm, and misunderstand mm-hmm. them completely and then don't be excited about the theatrical mm. world. It's like, no, take oh, them to see the plays. Then they can be excited about how it comes alive off the page. Like reading plays is hard unless you have the sort of deceptively hard deceptively deceptively unless you have this like stage in your head that you can sort of see how it all gets put together you're just like reading it's just like it's meaningless but it's so hard to access when you are teaching it's so hard to access a good production that you can schlep all the that's true class to but it can be done and it should be done yeah because otherwise they just think it's a book 
They just think it's like a weird novel. (laughs) (laughs) Because it it takes... That was weird. Yeah. (laughs) Like, isn't something missing? Uh, Because it takes a long time to build that, you know, ability to sort of fill it all in. Yeah. And even when you can, sometimes you go see something, you're like, oh. Yeah. yeah, Big time. I mean, if they're doing it right, that's exactly how you feel. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know what? I know you and I are both looking forward to so much. Um, oh, yeah. Also by PCPA, but sadly not in our festival theater anymore. We'll, we'll be going oh, to San Maria. I know we gotta go. We will but we can to go San to Target Maria. when we go there. Oh, something. thank God. Like, we can go to Target. I and, really and need something some, else like, off-brand sunglasses. Oh, yeah. And yeah, possibly, we'll like, maybe, like... Some yoga pants. Oh yeah, that's sort of what I got to talk. Yeah, we for. can we can candles we can go up Yankee there. Candles, candles, There's Target. all the things, all the Target. things at Target. And Santa Maria is hoarding the Target, so we have to go up there. <sighs> Santa Maria. And I then, really want to like you, but mm-hmm. every time I go to mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. I'm disappointed. Not by the theater. Mm-hmm. The theater is great. But. Yeah. No, not by the theater. And and. We're seeing a good play. A great with a, play. A great play with a great cast. Oh, yeah. So so we're seeing Fences, which, yes. you know, is has become recently popular again yeah, by the Denzel the film. film. Right. Which I haven't seen. I haven't seen either. Although, here's what I like about fences. It's such a brilliant concept. Like, the idea of the play is that they build a fence. And this is one of those mm. things that I always think of when I'm... Um, thinking about plays and creating my own storylines within the theatrical narrative, like they have to have something to do all the time. You can't, you can have a novel in which they're not doing anything that right. can work, but you can have a play in which they're not doing anything. Right. You have to have that. So the fact that they're building a fence, it's in one place. Mm. There's a million different conversations that they can have while they're building. Like, it's just one of those simple, stupid things that I'm like, why have I not thought of? St- why did I not think of that? Building a fence, that's so easy and so poignant. So So it becomes this metaphor that's that's happening. It's a it's a metaphor that's happening in front of our eyes as viewers. Exactly. And it it layers itself Ugh. as it goes along. It's yeah. just so perfect. It's such a perfect metaphor. For what? Man, for for the action, the the meta action of the play, fences. You are so good. You are so good. And who's in fences? Well, so many people. Uh, For for me, it. uh, I think of Carol Foreman, who's going to be playing Rose, which is a great part in a great play. Yes, and a great uh actress. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, Yeah. she's done a number of things in the past couple of years around town, and she's become sort of a staple of the. Yes. Uh, the ensemble. Yeah, she was at ensemble for three shows. Yeah. And uh, she was the beggar woman in Sweeney Todd. Right. And right. so she can also sing. And mm-hmm. then, of course, she was Bess in Borgie yeah. and Bess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, in, and the main character in Intimate Apparel. That's right. Yeah, which, she's definitely gotten some media roles. So she, yeah. I think this is going to be, this is what we this call a safe be bet. <laughs> this is so sa- I can't imagine this. So it's going to be so good. This is like ensconced in fencing so many ways. <laughs> we are. So don't miss it. Don't yeah, miss fences. No, don't miss. Yeah, don't oh miss my And gosh. also, if you want to like learn about the theatrical milieu, like fences yeah. is one of those like tent posts. Yeah, I used to teach uh, fences. Yeah. Um. When when I when I taught and I, 
you know, and it's a great American. It's a great mm-hmm. piece for us to be doing right now. I think too, I agree. definitely I agree. in every way. So, well, just because how many, like, how many pieces do we have to do that have some sort of metaphoric idea of building a wall? Right. Be- <laughs> Before everyone's on right. the same I'm glad page. You said it. I wasn't going to bring up the W A L L, but. <laughs> I'm glad you did. So dumb. The <laughs> dumbest thing ever. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Anyway, go see fences. Fences is see worth fences. it. See fences. You'll see us there, too. Yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there. If you hear um, popcorn crunching in the back row, <laughs> that could be us. It's probably us. And I'm seeing a walk in the woods this weekend. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it this last weekend. You will enjoy it. I'm looking forward to that. That's you do a good job with, with it. Bill Waxman and Ed Geron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's soon, at center stage that's for at one more stage. weekend. One more weekend. And we are, oh, I was very excited to learn that we are going to have Ivy on our podcast. We are going to have the lovely Ivy from the producing unit. From the producing unit. On our podcast to discuss their upcoming production of Disgraced, the Pulitzer Tony winning show that has, it's actually, it was the most produced show in America. Really? In the last like year or two. Yeah. Yeah, and they really snagged it, too. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. that, that's got to be a hard one to get the rights to still because yeah. it's... Well, Ivy fresh. was in it in D.C., and mm. then they took the production to China, which I we have to ask her about when she yeah, comes because definitely. she says... I've heard her talk about it, and she says that it was a really fascinating uh, thing to take to China because they have all of these rules about what you're not allowed to talk about when you do a production in China. You can't speak of these certain, this bullet list of things to the Chinese audience. And oh, so wow. it was very interesting that every once in a while these things would get touched upon. Ooh. And she's, in, like in talkbacks or in the text? No, in the text. And okay. so she said that it was a really, it was really interesting to watch the audience react to that sort of like small amount of rebellion against a government that's Ooh. fairly oppressive. So yeah. she has a really interesting story about this production. Yeah. She's going to be in it again, and she's in it with a number of people who have been in it in various equity productions around the country. They're coming in and they're sort of creating a a production around all of these different ideas. So oh, cool. Yeah. So oh, that's going to be really interesting. So we're going to talk with her next time we meet. Yes, we are. Excellent. And anything else coming up? Well, Rocky Horror Horror is coming up in October. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, that's fine. And October. I know. How did I miss that that was happening in October? (laughs) Duh. October, November. Um, Yeah, I think that's about it for now. I mean, we're just waiting for all the schools to get started up and get all of the university productions rolling. Yeah, Lear. Lear is coming. Lear is coming. Lear is coming. Another late play. Another weird late play. (sighs) I know how you feel. I know how you feel about Lear. You know what? Maybe this will be the the Lear that changes me. Who I feel like Risa Brandon is directing. Oh well, really? is that and true? Maybe that's that might a, not be true. I don't that know. Might not be true. I that don't know. Maybe a vicious rumor. Well, wouldn't she be loves vicious. Lear? I know she loves, she loves Lear. Lear. She does love Lear. Um, I read the whole the book, The Year of Lear, oh. which is like an entire book How was about that? the <laughs> the Year of Lear. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's a great book. Who wrote that? Uh, Shapiro. He's a big 
Shakespeare scholar. Oh, okay, okay. And the uh, Year of Lear. Yeah, I would, I would like to read that. Lear. I will read you should. That. Uh, well, you should. Okay. I mean, you know, if maybe it'll maybe, maybe it'll, it'll change, change everything. For I'm you. I'm eager for something to change my mind about Lear. I just haven't come across it yet, and I'm okay. 33. So, so that's 33 like years of like Lear strikeouts. Yeah. Okay. It's time. It's, it's time. time. It's time. Um. All right. Great. Awesome. Hello, this is Maggie Yates from Theatrix. I'm going to give a quick preamble on the play you're about to hear, which is called Talk Back, written by me, which is why I get to talk about it. <laughs> so, about six months ago, Ellen Anderson, who works out at UCSB and also runs Dramatic Women, one of the theater companies here in town, uh, asked me if I would write a short play for her festival. So I came up with this idea, and I handed it off to the very capable hands of director Katie Williams, who is a stage manager and director and theater artist in town. And we put on this show as part of Ellen's sort of festival of shorts and it was a lot of fun and uh you know people seemed to like it which was great for us right mm-hmm. so we were excited uh so then when the on the verge festival came around uh kate bergstrom who is one of the artistic directors of on the verge said hey you know we need some shorts for the summer shorts do you have anything and i was like wow i just so happen to have this play called talk back so we once again gave it to the very delightful katie williams who got a new cast Mostly new cast, and we did it again. So we're going to be talking today with Katie Williams, and as always, we have Anna, Anna Jensen, Jensen here. And say hello to the people, Katie. Hello, everybody. Hello to the people. Hello, Katie. And later, after we're done talking about it, you will hear the production with the lovely Brittany Harder, the fantastic Jessica Balanoff, and the wonderful dear Ra- Ra- Rabin. Rabin. I believe. Rabin. Being nice pronunciation. Yay! Good job, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you. So that was my preamble on the show. Um, and so it had it's had kind of two life cycles. One was at center stage, as you just said, and then more recently at On the Verge. And those two spaces, it seems to me, are very. I mean, they're both kind of uh, a certain kind of seating, but. Very different vibes. One's mm-hmm. a traditional black box theater space, and the other one is, uh, you know, been been made into a theater space. So maybe, yeah, uh, on the verge is could... very yeah, fluid. Looks, looks like a warehouse. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it does. But it it uh, felt like a theatrical space for me, and because the subject matter of the play is a seminar or a a bit a. Uh, conference you know a big event it it kind of makes sense in both uh spaces that that those would be the spaces that we're in of course when we're doing the podcast we're we're nowhere (laughs) or we're in our living room but you can't see that so our set we're on our our set set. we're on set we're on set and so how were those two for 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 katie and you how were those two spaces informing the show well, let me let me first introduce and say that they're at FemFest, which is the feminist festival. And Fairley Webster, who is Brittany Harder, the lovely Brittany Harder, local theater teacher Brittany Harder, mm-hmm. uh, is Fairley Webster, the celebrity who's sort of who's on display mm-hmm. as it is. So that's kind of what we're looking at when we yeah. talk about the different spaces. So how are the? Tell I me believe about the I read the script for the first time and I said, "Are you kidding me? You have the." Um, <laughs> the journalist and the fangirl in the audience the entire show. This is impossible. Um, <laughs> to which I was like, 
we'll figure it out. Um, the first space was challenging because the audience is raked. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that I come from a technical background. I want to make sure everyone has sight lines. Mm-hmm. I pondered and pondered and pondered and came up with a beautiful, elaborate dance. I sort of like to see it as um, of how I got the journalist and the fangirl on stage with Fairly mm-hmm. and in On the Verge. Um, because we shared the space with a likely pair, which Samantha Eve directed, um, and the other short that uh, Lindsay Twig and Daniel Draper did, I was sort of challenged by the locked-in configuration that we had in there. My original plan was to direct it in the round, mm-hmm. which I feel like I sort of captured in this sort of normal theater space mm-hmm. round there is no fourth wall setting. Yeah, right. There, mm-hmm. re- there truly wasn't, in, in in that second space, there really wasn't a fourth wall because characters remained in the audience. In fact, uh, the journalist character was seated next mm-hmm. to David. And when <laughs> she first said something, I think my husband thought that some audience member was behaving badly. Yes. <laughs> and that was sort of my intention. <laughs> David stands like, up in the middle of the play. Excuse me. Talking. Well, what's interesting was every time I worked with the show, we actually had to have that discussion of what happens if an audience oh. member actually raises their hand. Oh. Um, I don't believe it happened. I think we got close a couple nights in, it might have been the first time we did it with Dramatic Women, mm-hmm. but that was something that was apparent was what does happen yeah. if another audience member raises their hand for the mm-hmm. Q&A. Right. And I was like, well... Don't call on them, please. Please do not call on them. Ignore them. them. Yeah. yeah. Unless you want to really take this in an interesting wow. direction. Please do not know what script. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, who are you? <sighs> if you could just wait You a know, that would be a great uh, improv exercise, though, to have to deal yeah. with a bunch of random audience members. But first you memorize a 10-minute monologue oh, first, about... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> being About in a feminism. sex tape yes. and then the rest of the play is you just go to the audience and you're like any questions yeah really yeah. anybody anybody and then you just until somebody finally asks i feel like someone would oh they absolutely I they would, would. I would. well somebody you know would. we saw that when we saw um the 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 not the checkoff play the check you know the oh stupid fucking bird stupid fucking bird they have Mm -hmm. they solicit the audience a couple times and Mm -hmm. you're not really sure like oh come on am i really supposed to tell you (laughs) am i really supposed to talk now you know (laughs) am i as an anonymous theater goer now supposed to i feel like the fun thing about play for you shows in a small (laughs) right am i supposed to be the one that does this for you now god damn it but i feel like the fun part about shows like that in a small community is if you you have the choice between the half of the audience that you know mm-hmm. and who you know mm-hmm. knows the structure of theater and who can make a pretty good guess as to what the appropriate thing to say is. Or you pick a rando. So mm-hmm. I feel like when people go up to the rando, mm-hmm. like they know the rando isn't going to say anything. They're just going to be like, oh, <laughs> it's awkward. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, funny but I feel like no one would go up to Katie in an no. audience and, oh, and no. ask Absolutely them. Because I feel like you would be able to throw them pretty bad. <laughs> If you wanted. Of course I would. Yeah. I have seen enough shows and have worked on enough how, shows to be able can to see how things go fix wrong. that. Yeah. Well, what was interesting with um, doing Talk Back with On the Verge was I made a choice not to put reserved seats on mm. their chairs. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be as inconspicuous as possible. And it was multiple instances where people would move jackets and sunglasses oh. and sit in their chairs and... Uh, Jessica Balanoff would have to come 
back around outside and come find me and be like, someone's sitting in my chair. Oh my God. One That's second. So I'll go tell them to move. Yeah, move. And then we would have to deal with it. Um, and whereas when we did it with dramatic women, there were reserve signs. They came right. in during intermission, but it was the same thing. They milled about, they, they talked yeah. to people. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we, we kept it in that, um, in that space and for the actors' heads. Yeah. No, I think that's yeah, smart. that's interesting because that does become kind of a cinematic sign or not a, a a signifier of mm-hmm. you know that a forward of what does this mean yeah. or just okay someone's sitting there that has to sit there for some reason um, yeah right. you know what I mean right. yeah people were like why are they why right. do they have to sit there like, right it's yeah. fine don't worry right. about it. Like, yeah. do they have a bad knee or what's going on? Is three rows women? Back? I don't is get three, it. Yeah, is three rows back I know, young, on the aisle a young, great seat? That's where the people go when they have water on the knee. Um, yeah, they're, especially because they're women alone. Mm-hmm. And I feel right. like there is sort of right. a resistance to like, oh, a woman alone is just going to go sit in a theater alone. Mm-hmm. Even though like, why is that weird? Why would that be weird? It's not like you're talking to anybody. I do it all the time. The, I do it all the time. You do it all. We all do it all the time. Yeah, just not with a reserved seat. Yeah. Like, not with, like, a... <laughs> That's true. Don't That's sit true. there. That's true. This person alone is... is... <laughs> this seat's not for you. Yeah. I don't... I, I, have have right. Right. I can only sit on evenly numbered seats. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so from directing one to directing mm-hmm. the other. Now, you yeah. had Brittany, who's the same, who's mm-hmm. a delightful Farrelly, mm-hmm. who essentially every time I would watch it, at either performance center stage or on the verge, some dude who I would know in the audience would come up to me after and be like, who's that girl? Who's that girl? Poor Brittany. Brittany. So much male energy at her. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Well, she's framed that way. by She's framed that way, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of threw her into that alligator pit. Well, I feel especially since the second... The second time around, I I actually worked with her separately from the other two girls since mm. we had both worked on it the first time and told her, I do not want the same character. I have a mm. completely different vision, a completely different outlook. She was a completely different fairly the second time around. It's mm-hmm. like, people have already seen this a few months ago. Most of my friends are going to come twice. Let's do something different. Mm. So we worked together and we made fairly a lot stronger this time around, mm-hmm. I feel like. You can probably yeah, vouch I for that so. since well, tell explain the um, explain the significance between her um, between the two shows in terms of her her underlying the secret life of the actor. Mm. Can I can I give away the big the big question? Yeah, give, yeah give it away. Okay, um, the big away. question in the show is was fairly in the sex tape or not? Mm-hmm. And Maggie, you and I did not confer before I directed it the first time. Correct. So. I asked the actors to decide on their own and I had them all come up with it separately. So nobody knew like the journalist and the fangirl and fairly did not know what the other person thought. So the first time we did it, the journalist thought it was her, the fangirl. No, I'm sorry. It was the fangirl thought it was her. The journalist thought it was not. And fairly was like, it is absolutely not me in the tape. Hmm. The second time around, I actually made the choice for everybody after talking to you and after learning that it is an <laughs> ambiguous question. Um, I came into it, and that was the first thing I said, is it is you in the sex tape. Just so everybody's clear, it is you mm. in the sex tape. You are denying it. Interesting. You are hiding it. You are admitting it in a way, but also trying to manipulate everyone into thinking that it might not be you. Right. Or, or I mean, that's your direction that you're yes. giving your actor, and the, but the 
production of ambiguity mm-hmm. remains the same yes. because of the structure yes. of the text. And I, f- as as an audience member, uh, well, I keep you know it's a there, it's a very text rich play. Yeah. So there's a lot. So every time I hear it, I hear more of it mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, I think there's a idea here that it really makes zero difference whether it is her or it's not her. It's not even that it's just ambiguous. Mm-hmm. It's it's the the play is telling me that it makes no difference who it is because. It's all a construction based on different consumer Correct. experiences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of how I. I yeah. I feel like this it. time, in making it her in the tape and her relationship with the audience, I feel like it just made her a stronger character. I really mm-hmm. wanted to see mm-hmm. Fairly be a little bit more powerful in mm-hmm. this go around mm-hmm. and have a little bit more, re- gain a little bit more respect from the audience in mm-hmm. a way, um, not make her so, such so much of a weak character. Um, And part of that was our very first read through uh, Dia and Jessica came in with these strong personalities that really came through with their characters. And it sort of took off from there of, Mm -hmm. okay, this is how I envision the journalist this time around. Um, This is how I envision the fangirl. It was actually Daniel Draper who pulled me aside after week one's performance and was like, I get it. Your previous version, they were, um, it was a satire. They were caricatures Mm -hmm. of all of these stereotypes. This time they were real people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's one of the, the, you know, kind of beautiful touches of this piece is that the three voices are so distinctive and distinctively different. Not just the vocal quality of the actor, but the, I mean, the, Mm -hmm. the kind of the worldview the perspective, the everything about the characters that it's like a, you know, three, it's like a chromatic scale, yes. you know, mm. it's like, they all know, feed off of each other. They it's do. so dynamic. It's, it is. It's really, it's really well balanced mm-hmm. that way. That and they feed off these, the audience in different ways as yeah. well. Like, oh, yes. Mm. They, um, we got completely different laughs every single performance yeah, of both times. Yeah. Um, we never got the same reaction twice. Uh, there were a few little moments that I think people laughed at every time, mm-hmm. but it was, you never knew what you were going to step into. That's mm. really interesting too, because in a way it's, it's very close to just being sort of a, a little different pacing mm-hmm. and you could make this like a dirge, yes. you know, this could be <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that's the, we should try it that way next. That'll be the next deal. <laughs> Just that. make it as painful as actually. That would be really interesting if you really put that spin on it of like, no, make people go through it with yeah. you. Yeah, like, Just take mm-hmm. them, drag mm-hmm. the audience. Well, I this. wonder if that's what would have happened if I had said it slightly more in the round and had put because my original intention was to put the other two on the outside and oh. put fairly in the middle, okay. so the audience gets the crossfire, which we got a little bit. I. They make fun of me because I love I love those little tiny moments, those diagonals, the placements, the yeah. sight lines. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time we did it with dramatic women, 
Brittany and I had a running gag that I think only the two of us got, which was she had this bottle of Evian. And every time she would um, she would turn the label, she would set her water bottle down on a stool and she would turn the label so it was facing the audience. Oh, and it was yeah. just for me. Um, <laughs> and I loved it. And then this time around, we had her posture. We worked on her posture mm-hmm. a lot and gave her different movements. And I actually... Uh, had lunch with a friend of mine recently, Terry Lee, who's another actor in town. Hello, is, Terry Lee. Yes, hello, Terry, um, who has worked with On the Verge before. And she was like, I hated that she had her hand on her hip the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Ah. I was, <laughs> I, but I didn't tell her that like, that's what I was going for. But I wanted you to hate her for her, for her movements, for her poses. Everything was so calculated. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Ways to make people immediately likable or dislikable yeah. mm-hmm. based on just uh, the intricate Yeah, she was like, it bugs me and i'm like yeah i know it bugs you it that was my intention behind Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. almost like you know what you're doing weird (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like um i can see your vision of in the round too because i you know it it always struck me as such a kind of i don't know like a woman-centered pedagogy Mm -hmm. or something Mm. to kind of put we're going to put our students in a circle, you know, we'll be in a circle, we'll all be sort of equal to one yes, another. Yes, free open space. Yeah, and we'll right. be making eye contact. And, and some in some of my classes, I would do that because I wanted to dismantle the kind of the hierarchy of being in the front. But sometimes you just need to be in the front. Yeah. Sometimes you need that hierarchical yeah. stand, but it's yeah. such a strong cue to put somebody, you know, can you imagine our audience members like in a circle oh, making geez. eye contact with yeah. other audience members? Well, and that's always something that I think <laughs> about. Like people yeah. so uncomfortable. Like, oh, God. Oh. I, and it works to your advantage in certain shows. And I yeah. thought this could be the perfect show to yeah. utilize that that tactic mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with the content. And let's let's make them as uncomfortable as possible. Mm. And let's make them. I mean, I like that goal. Uh, I believe I it was that's one a great of thing the, for a playwright to reach for. Yeah. How can I make See, my audience feel comfortable? I say this all the time, but then I call my brother in New York, who's a theater genius, and I ask him, what do you think? And he's like, Maggie, you got to let the audience be in on the joke. If they're not in on the joke, they're going to be mad at you when it's over and the actors are laughing at them. He's like, nobody wants to do that. Like, that's really fun for your theater friends, but it's not mm. fun for anybody else. And it's like, uh. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. Well, Torn fun. between the sense of that and <laughs> wanting to make everyone angry. I know. Yeah, in the end, you got to go with making people angry. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I mean, do we remember the fun people a hundred years later? I don't think so. <laughs> I just remember that one time I was really, really mad. <laughs> That's great. That's what I want my legacy to be. Yeah, oh, yeah. She oh, made theater that so made me not so fun. mad. God damn. <laughs> That's going to be on my tombstone. Theater. Yes, that made people angry we'll with make, theater. We'll make I would the, strive for that. We'll make a new theater company. Maybe it'll be for teens. <laughs> Did I tell making that? people angry. That's I like what it. Oh, I can get behind we'll that. We'll call yeah, it Angst. That would be good. Making you angry. <laughs> with the, I don't know, with a K or something. I have to tell you about <laughs> Theater of the Betrayal. Theater of the Betrayal is a theater. Did I tell you about this? This is a theater style mm-hmm. that same brother invented (laughs) and he was like what i really want to do is 
have people do a full monologue, full production, kind of like in this style that, that Talkback is in, in which you're talking to a group. But it's not going to be a theater audience. It's going to be like a political audience. And they're really going to pander hard. They're going to pander, pander, pander. And then at the end, you have a little curtain call. And then behind the actors, you show the act of whatever it is that they're voting against or voting for. You make them watch it, so you make a woman have an abortion in front of them, like, just behind the curtain calls, so everybody's bowing and there's a woman, you know, or, wow. or et cetera. And, and this he was is like the same brother who didn't want to make people yeah, I angry. He, I think he didn't get an A on the paper, so... I think he turned I think he, around Is, is he that. just bitter about, like, theater of the oppressed <laughs> and, like, other historical theater <laughs> movements? I think he, he thought that maybe he was Meyerhold. I don't know. He had a but I, I was kind of like, do I? Do we do that? Theater of the betrayal? That sounds only in New York. Only in New York. <laughs> only in New York. Santa Barbara's not ready for that. that. I don't Germany. think so. No. There are niches of Santa Barbara. There are niches rather. of Santa Barbara. I think we should do it in someone's basement, and everyone should be wearing latex. Okay. Problems. There are no basements in Santa Barbara. Uh, I don't know why you have. Rich people that. have basements. They're just called some sort rooms. of rooms. <laughs> the first yeah, floor. Rooms. <laughs> Never mind. Rooms. Never Small mind. Rooms. Yes. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, we don't have basements here. We could do it in the parking garage. Oh, bro, oh, that would be that good. would be it's pretty close. Earthy. Oh, that would be grungy. Well, I'm glad to think that you guys are uh, already coming up with an artistic vision for your next project and for coming <laughs> projects. Yeah. What do you got on the books? You got anything coming up? Um, I actually am. Stage managing, because that's what I predominantly do. Um, dance works at the Libero coming yes. up next weekend. I believe it's September 1st and 2nd. Um, and then I'm also calling Rocky Horror for Out of the Box. Nice. And uh, whoever will hire me after that. <laughs> right. Excellent. And yes. you currently, your day job is also theater. Uh, more or less. Um, I am... A public events manager for UCSB. I manage IV Theater and Embarcadero Hall. And on top of that, you can literally find me at any theater in town um, <laughs> on crew or as a substitute technical director for wow. our lovely, lovely friends. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. you sound like a busy lady. Always. You can always find her in a dark room. Right. True. I'm usually the one in black behind everybody, behind the curtains. <laughs> Waving frantically. If you've never seen me, look closer in the program. My name is in there <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Unless someone's screwed up. It, it happens. Yeah. My name was in the program. <laughs> She's, she pretty much works like every, you work like everything. Yeah. Like, I feel like you are in I've more weaselled my way into every into theater company in town almost. <laughs> we, need, we need that. Mm-hmm. We need people weaseling in. Well, thank you guys so much, Maggie. I know you're my co-host, of course. <laughs> you're welcome. You're not usually the subject <laughs> of our convo. Well, thank you for chatting but about my for piece. Letting, I, it's, it's really fun, and I hope everyone will listen to it a couple of times like I have, because it's you, you really do get more out of it every mm-hmm. time. There's a lot going on there. And thank you to the lovely Katie Williams, our director, stage me. manager, theater organ of. Uh, I was going to use an awesome word. Theater gremlin. It's fine. Theater gremlin. I'm theater, theater, theater gremlin. gremlin. I know it. So I love gremlin. that. Yeah. But gremlins break things, right? Sometimes I do. I'm not oh, okay. Do you get angry and hairy when you get wet? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay, I mean, we're going to have to define theater gremlin. Right, we'll okay, work it on sounds, this. It sounds, it sounds cute when Katie says it. Yeah. But. That's a cute gremlin. It's, a, it's, it's the like gremlin. you just can't feed me after midnight. It's like the happy one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Furby. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. But uh, not annoying. Remember Furby? I don't. Oh, you guys I were Furby, Furby. aged. Oh, were yeah. you kidding? Did you have a Furby? Of course, I had a Furby. I, we oh, had the Furbies. Oh. In the My brother and I had Furbies, and we, they would talk to each they other. Would get- <laughs> 
see because now Ooh, I feel old because I remember annoying toys. I remember my stepdaughter getting a Furby, so now I feel really old because now I realize <laughs> you're the same age as my stepdaughter. So, <laughs> but thank you guys so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And now we have a very special opportunity to listen to Maggie Yates's play, FemFest. This version of FemFest, which was performed at the 2017 On the Verge Festival, was directed by Katie Williams and features Dear Rabin as the fangirl, Jessica Balanoff as the journalist, and the lovely Brittany Harder as Farrelly Webster. Here's FemFest. It never occurred to me he'd end up famous. Like, A-list, celebrity famous. He's just that guy I fucked in college a couple of times. Don't get me wrong, we had a good time, but we fucked. That's it. When I started seeing him on the cover of People in GQ, I sometimes wondered if he ever thought about me. Like, obviously not as often as I was forced to think about him, but maybe he'd see something random and think, Fairly Webster. I wonder where that bitch is at. That would have been enough. Then, last May, breaking news. This guy, who's now engaged to a fashion design heiress, is in a leaked sex tape with sleazy escort Pippa Rosinski. She's in a dog collar, full latex mask, and he goes on the defensive, you know, like, whoa, that's a hacked video of me and an old girlfriend. And I'm watching the tweets. I'm seeing the interviews, because celebrity scandal is fun, right? At no point, Did I think that old girlfriend could be me? There's this surreal moment when the public is exposed to the private. It's hard to describe. I clicked on the link and saw a censored still photo of them. And I recognize my body in a way that only I can. It's a familiarity of looking in the mirror. And when you make a sex tape with a guy who's now a very big deal and that tape gets leaked, It doesn't go unnoticed. People care about what this guy does, and everyone cares about this video. They care so much they're compelled to comment on everything. On me, on my morality, on my ability as a lover, on the intimate minutia of my body. He was very gracious, and I don't hold it against him. The worst part of that experience was the learned shame. I had never been ashamed about sex or my body. But the comment section trained me to see flaws in myself that everyone had been silently judging me for all along. I sank into it pretty deep. I used drugs. I lost purpose. It wasn't until I found a fierce and fabulous community of women, the same kind of women you are seeing here at FemFest, that I was able to reconnect with my sacred feminine strength. I'm clean, sober, and working for empowerment every day. But the problem is beyond body shaming or internet trolling or whatever, right? It's in the perception we have of other people. We may deal with a hundred people in a day, and we make fast judgments that help us navigate. A guy comes up to you and you have to decide, is he a threat or not? Is he respecting your personal space? Is he scuzzy in some way? But after this initial self-preservation-based impression, we should seek people's strengths 
instead of potential weaknesses to exploit. Overcome that competitive tendency, we're not living in the jungle anymore. By embracing a social shift towards connection and empathy, we eliminate the problem of bullying and trolling at its source by castrating the disempowering energy these people spew out into the world. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I am so proud to be here talking to all of you at FemFest. This series of seminars and events is brainchild of prominent author and feminist Jane Doe Smith. You can applaud for her, sure. She's a mother, she's an advocate for women everywhere, and she's our fearless producer. She's also behind the online honesty forums at femfest.org, which are connecting women from all over the world. Speaking of which, some of you tweeted some questions at me, so as promised, I'm available for a short Q&A. Yes, go ahead. Hi, I'm so nervous. Sorry, you're a huge inspiration to me. Um, I was wondering, will you be bringing this sex-positive, body-positive outlook to your character on Garden Street Terrace? Oh, well, that character is pretty minor, but I mean, I am playing myself, so yes, that's definitely part of the brand that I'd like to perpetuate. So, you're confirming that you will be back for next season? Will you still be on the manhunt for Dr. Prince Legend? You'll have to watch to find out. Let me moderate this a little bit better. Let's start with questions about the festival. Hi! So, first of all, could I just say, I was expecting a little bit more shtick from you, given your, um, television personality. Anyway, uh, this festival is pretty broad in terms of its offerings. Could you clarify your personal view of feminism? Great question. I think that women should be afforded the same opportunities as men, obviously. But I think that women need to go in swinging, right? The fight isn't over, and it can't be done alone. I advocate for women to stand up for themselves, but my focus is also for women to stand up for each other mm -hmm. instead of tearing each other down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you think that your media portrayal makes you unreliable? And is that lack of reliability harmful to the causes you reportedly advocate? By media portrayal, do you mean me having kinky sex in front of the world against my consent? <laughs> oh, it seemed pretty consensual to me. I mean the video getting leaked. I felt powerless. As for how the media portrays me, I think they just haven't asked me any questions that matter. Oh, well, do you consider yourself a positive role model for women? I do. The infamy that comes with this atrocious violation of privacy is, I used it as a vehicle for healing. I hope to heal other exploited women who may resonate with my story. Together, we can be stronger. Yes, oh, Hi again. I was a pregnant teen. I followed your struggle after the sex tape came out, and I felt like you. One night of fun leads to a lifetime of problems, right? But you got through it. You made hard choices, and I thought, I can do that. I'm living proof that you're a good role model. Currently, I'm the first woman in my family to attend college. Congratulations, and thank you. Thank you. This is why we began these events, to celebrate and support women like you. And now, your story will inspire others. Actually, I have a question for the girl who just spoke. Hi. 
<laughs> could you uh, could you describe for me how Miss Webster's actions in the public eye led you to decide on education rather than raising a child? I don't think that's appropriate. Let's not start the chaos of an open forum. It's a relevant question. A confessional account of how you've inspired a first-gen college grad? I think it fits nicely within your honesty forums, and it's in direct regard to women's issues. I mean, abortion is a pretty charged topic right now, and it might relate to a lot of people here who don't necessarily want to bring it up. I didn't have an abortion. I gave up custody to my mom while I'm in school. Ah, sorry. Didn't mean to assume. Fairly inspired me to go after my dreams, even if I've made mistakes in the past. People having a bad opinion on me shouldn't keep me from accomplishing things. She was totally exploited, but... Instead of being defeated, she clapped back. She went to rehab and shared that journey with the people. Oh, you're referring to her time uh, on the cast of Gone Viral, the C-list YouTube star reality rehab show? It's not a reality show. It's serious therapy. And it's more like a mini documentary Um, format. Who cares if it's a reality show? The word reality is in its title. It's about real people. What's more inspiring than watching real people overcome hardships? I'd argue that it's a structure in which real people play themselves. I mean, virtually every aspect of the medium is an irony quote. Ironic reality is still reality. If the show helps people, then it's doing its job. No, if the show attracts enough viewers to create ad revenue, then it's doing its job. Yeah, well, it does. (laughs) Okay. Ladies, I love this passionate discourse about feminism, but let's bring it back to the issues, although... You have a very precise line of questioning. Are you looking for something specific? I'm writing a piece for the Times about feminist activism. Excellent. We love getting the message out. What's your angle? Hmm. It's about how to filter the worthwhile causes from the vanity projects that publicists tack on to a person's contractually obligated media appearance to make them look less frivolous and expendable in an attention deficit disorder society. How do you feel about sex workers? Okay, again, let's stick to questions about the festival. Okay, okay, you called the escorts. Um, what was her name? Pepper, Ch- uh, Pepper Tchaikovsky? Krasinski. Well, you called her sleazy. What did you mean by that? She hacked into a private account and leaked sensitive material for money? You don't think that's sleazy? I guess if she actually did do that, then yeah, maybe. Well, she did. So I guess she is. So what about the accusation that the woman on the tape actually isn't you? That, in fact, you were paid to fess up to it so that your ex could save face before his fancy wedding. (laughs) Wait, you're accusing her of making it all up? Why would she do that? That's like like telling someone who says they've been raped that they were asking for it by wearing a short skirt. She said she wasn't uncomfortable with sex. Maybe she was approached with a generous offer and waiter options. Maybe the money and potential platform she stood to gain outweighed the petty embarrassment of people thinking that the woman they saw in the video was actually her. I mean, her head is completely obscured by the latex mask. And she is, in her own words, fucking one of the most bankable rappers in the world. I'm just saying. Is there a word for unfeminist? Because that's you. How'd you even get in here? Press pass. I am not tearing her down because of some woman-eat-woman high school mean girl social pyramid, and I'm certainly not saying anything unfeministic. I am questioning Miss Webster's focus and motivation because, frankly, the whole thing seems flimsy and out of character to me. If anything, I am empowering her to make her presentation better. I, I, I mean, why not use those rumors? If they're true or false, I, I, who cares? I don't. I, better to say that you did it for the money and the power. It makes you more of a badass bitch as opposed to this whole rehabilitated reality show victim thing. 
I mean, empowering, sure, but also kind of pathetic. Suggesting that victims should buck up and use their oppressive circumstances for profit is sickening. That attitude is why we have to have events like this. Events that stop women from cutting each other down. You're only getting away with saying this crap because you are a woman. If you were a man saying this shit, you'd be fucking roasted immediately. Think about that. Yeah, yeah, I guess inequality is alive and well. I think that this line of questioning, especially for an article, I'd rather have a more in-depth conversation with you off the stage. Ah, uh, it's not really necessary. It's a uh, 200-word piece that's mostly taken up with the names of the presenters. I'm asking for my own interest. You're a hero to these women for some reason. What is it that makes them so obsessed with because you? Because she's a fighter. She's honest and gritty and like, yeah, a little uppity, but only because she's new money. She accidentally got famous because she happened to know the right people. Okay, a sex tape isn't an example of knowing the right but people. But she holds her own and people don't fuck with her. It's called charisma. And her romance with Dr. Prince legend is poignant. I mean, Ugh. having to choose between true love and finding your own authentic identity all alone. People go through that. Do they? More importantly, should they? Okay, can we keep it above the belt? I don't know! Can we? It's your talk back for all your talk about empowerment. You're kind of part of the background right now. This boggles my mind. Competitive women like you are the problem. You see other people as stuff to climb over instead of people to create a community with. Elitist <laughs> art hipsters. You're so cynical about everything because you think you're too woke and cool for the rest of us. Oh, when I lived in Serbia, we drank cold coffee while we painted with vegan animal feces and snorted MDA. <laughs> so awesome, you guys. So when something inspires people or brings people joy, you shit all over it. What boggles my mind is how comfortable you are being naive. Nothing about Fairly Webster is real. You guys aren't soul sisters. You're not even friends. She is a made-up personality that people rally behind because she's sassy on TV and sells t-shirts. Which, interestingly enough, do not come in sizes larger than a medium. Fairly Webster is a way to sell shit to people. And the sad thing is, the people who are buying it, the people who don't know any better, those are the people who probably do need access to a legitimate feminist viewpoint in their lives. But instead, they get you. Do you want to know what I think? I think that you were an addict already. I think that you saw the sex tape as easy money and you saw the rehab show as an opportunity to get clean. And what is so wrong with that? I was suffering. And if I'm in humbling myself to detox in front of everyone in the world, I was willing to do it. And I thought maybe it would help other people to see me get through it. Yeah, I'm about empowerment, but I'm also about vulnerability. You, you need some empathy. <laughs> Everything I do, I own. That was true before all this mess, and it'll be true tomorrow no matter what your article says. Oh, and this work that I do, I take ownership of that too. Because it's real, and it's important, even if you don't take it seriously. You don't get to define my experience. I don't let people like you control the direction of my life anymore. And I want that confidence and command for everyone in this room. Fairly fucking Webster, bitch. <laughs> wow, thank you. For your comments. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be able to fit all of that in the article. The best I could do is say something like, uh, I don't know, Miss Webster, uh, you know, it, it includes self-empowerment as something that's most important to her. But um, I appreciate that you took control of the conversation. That was something. Thanks. Are we back on track? How do you feel? 
I feel okay, but I'm a little exhausted, you know, having spent so much time trying to be a sellable commodity. But now, I get to bring visibility to important shit. I don't want to be the celebrity sex tape bitch, or the celebrity rehab bitch, or the fucking plays herself on a soap opera bitch. That's why I threw myself into this festival. And there was resistance to me coming on board, you know, like, they worried that I was going to offend people. Because apparently, I'm offensive? How long can you people keep being embarrassed that I got fucked? Are you embarrassed for me? Or for yourselves? I got fucked, okay? That's what happened. I got fucked. I wanted to make sure other people had a softer place to land. Apparently, you're giving the finger to the patriarchy and the bitchy matriarchy right before my eyes, and it's so... You just... You get me, and literally no one else does. Thank you, sweetie. You have been great. Oh, you see this? This is empowerment. I'm beginning to almost respect you, and I love it. Ladies, and you few non-intrusive gentlemen, welcome to motherfucking FemFest. My name is Fairly Webster, and I will reclaim what has been taken from me. And this talkback? Yeah, we're done. Fuck your Twitter questions. Corporate donor forms are in the lobby. Fairly out. Theatrics is produced by David Paris. Original music by Miles Austin. Be sure to check us out on iTunes, on Google Play. And if you have any questions or want to get a hold of us or want to be a guest, you can tweet us, TheatricsSB, check us out on Instagram, TheatricsSB, or check out our website, TheatricsSB.com. And hey, we're looking for a signature cocktail. So if you have any good ideas, reach out to us on any of those places that Maggie just listed. So looking forward to having a drink with you. Bye. Bye.